We are going to continue our series called The Way of the Early Church. We've been looking at the ways of God as they experienced them in the first century church. In the book of Acts, the way that church worked, the way that they understood God, the way they grabbed hold of God. We are not the first century church. We're the 21st century church, but there are eternal truths of God that we can apply today that they lived out back then. And so we've been looking through the book of Acts and looking for these eternal truths. Last time we talked about Peter's miraculous escape from prison and the preceding event before Peter was miraculously delivered from prison was that James of James and John was executed by Herod. That must have been a tremendous disappointment for the New Testament church. And as we saw last week, it affected the prayers of the rest of the believers. Have you ever prayed for something? You desperately needed it. You were just out on a limb trusting God and it just didn't happen. If we're going to pray, if we're going to be people of prayer, then we're going to have to face disappointment in prayer. Isn't that just how it goes? Well, that's how it went for the New Testament church because James Again, not just one of the 12, but one of the three. James, the brother of John, was put to death with the sword. And so then they saw that Peter had been captured and they were praying earnestly for him. But then when Peter was released, they couldn't believe it had happened. And so they didn't have in their hearts the ability to believe that Peter could be released from prison. They knew they were supposed to pray, but they couldn't believe it would happen. So their prayers were affected. What happens to us? What happens to Christians when they are greatly disappointed in prayer? Last week, we covered a few things. They start praying mushy prayers that can't go unanswered. Like, well, Lord, we've got this problem, but whatever you want to do is cool. If it stays this way, fine. If not, great. Amen. That's just a mushy nothing prayer. Pray for the sickness to be gone. Pray for the financial need to be met. Pray for the wisdom to come in. Pray, believe for a specific thing. People can pray or they can begin to blame people. Well, you know, we prayed for you, but you didn't get healed, so you don't have enough faith. It's your fault. Or, oh, the person praying, they must have sin in their life. or Otherwise, the prayer would be answered. It's their fault. Well, God in his sovereign plan wants us to be miserable, so it's God's fault. You know, people just want to start blaming because, oh, it didn't work. We're disappointed. Who do we blame? Let's not blame. That's not helpful. People can become disillusioned and quit praying. People may keep praying, but pray prayers of duty that have no faith in them. Have you ever prayed for something and you were 100% completely convinced that it wouldn't happen? Oh, you're sick. I'll pray for you. I know you're going to stay sick, but I'll pray anyway because I guess I'm supposed to. That's a prayer of duty, but there's no faith with it. What we want to do is to continue praying in faith, continue believing God. You know, we win as believers Not by having the easiest life, having the longest life, you know, having the most toys when we die, that sort of thing. That's not how we win as believers. We win when we walk by faith, we remain faithful, and we remain obedient to God, and we keep our love of God to the end, whatever the circumstances are. Whatever trials we're facing, whatever difficulties we're in, whatever unanswered prayer we're having to deal with, when we love God through that to the end, that's when we win. And so we must remain faithful. This week, we're going to talk about the birth of the new covenant. 
And so we're going to look at what they called the Jerusalem Council. So let's pray and we'll get into new material here this morning. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for your truth. Lord, I pray that you would bless us this morning by opening up your word to us. Each one of us needs to see something different. Each one of us needs a different piece of encouragement from you, a different uh, bit of strength from you. And I know by your spirit, you can just touch each one of us with just what we need. So, Lord, I ask that you would do that. You would just be with us this morning and by your spirit, you would meet our needs, each one in all the different ways. Bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about Cornelius and Peter. Peter, the Jew, Cornelius, the Gentile. And Cornelius was the excluded, not a citizen of Israel, but a foreigner. And then with the interaction between Peter and Cornelius, the various visions that they had, the unchosen people became eligible to be chosen people. The Gentiles, the foreigners were brought into the family of God. And so we saw that happen a beautiful moment and I'm very thankful for that because I don't have any blood of Abraham flowing through my veins my ancestors were the barbarian tribes of Scandinavia and so there is no chosen blood in my veins but now with the new way with the the unchosen being welcomed into the family of God I get to belong but the question now that they're going to deal with in Acts chapter 15 is we've got all these people who don't know how to do church they don't know the rules they don't know what to wear they don't know when to stand and when to sit they don't know the song We don't know what to do with them. How are we going to deal with these people? And of course, in that day, it was the Mosaic law. It was the Jewish law. And so the question came up, do the Gentile believers need to convert to Judaism in order to become Christians? And so in our context, it would be, do people need to convert to the Christian culture in order to be followers of Jesus? Well, let's take a peek. Acts chapter 15 Starting in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So what they were saying is, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to become Jewish so you can become Christian so that you can go to heaven. You've got to follow all the rules. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas are not under that same impression. Hallelujah for that. We're getting a picture of which direction this is going to go. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. 
So this meeting is what is called the Jerusalem Council. So all the important movers and shakers of the faith met together in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas showed up. Peter was there. James, a different James is there. They're all there to discuss the question. They did not dismiss the question. They met to discuss the question. What do we do with these new converts who don't understand the ways that we do things? What are we supposed to do with them? And that is a big question. So Peter addresses the council. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Next verse. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So this is talking about Peter and Cornelius. And how that happened, verse 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So now we see a transition from it's by following the law of Moses that we're saved. No, it's by grace. It's through Jesus and his sacrifice that we are saved, not through our works, not through following the Mosaic law, is what Peter has to say. We are saved by grace. This is a huge moment in time. The revelation of God's plan for salvation through grace comes in the Jerusalem council. Let's keep reading because there's more to be discussed. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So they tell all the stories. Look, God has welcomed in the Gentiles. They're not following the law of Moses right now. If God has accepted them already, who are we to stand in the way? Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. So this is James, the little brother of Jesus, who has now become a great pillar of the faith. He's the author of the book of James And he's got tremendous authority. So he is the bottom line guy. He speaks and everybody listens. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So James is saying, look, the Gentiles are turning to God. If we try to make them follow the whole law of Moses, it's going to mess everything up and they're not going to be able to get all of that. So let's make it easy for them. And they come up with a list of rules that the Gentiles are supposed to follow. And they decide to present this to the church in Antioch by a letter. And so let's jump forward to verse 22 and let's see what happens here. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. 
So this is like one of the epistles of Paul, except it's just really, really short, and it's inside the book of Acts. So this is a letter written from the Jerusalem Council to the church in Antioch and a couple other places. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Verse 29, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to them to give them four rules. So we've got now a strange new four commandments. (laughs) No drinking or eating blood. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Watch out for the meat of strangled animals. You know, you got to bleed out the animal before you're going to eat it because it had blood in it, you'd be eating blood then, and watch out for sexual immorality. Does that seem a little odd to you? All right, let's talk about this. Let's try to get an idea. So we got these four rules. Does that mean that the Gentile believers could go ahead and murder whoever they wanted? It's not on the list. Can they disrespect their parents? It's not on the list. No, they still have to not murder people. They still have to, you know, respect their parents. They have to follow the ways of God. But how do we understand this? Here's the idea. We are going from the old covenant, the covenant of the law, into the new covenant, the covenant of the spirit. And so basically, we're transitioning from the law of Moses, which was a bunch of religious rules, to the way of the spirit, which is understanding God and beginning to get it, beginning to catch on to the ways of God. Now, you've got things that you're good at, that you just understand, you just get, right? I mean, some people, they just get computers. Some people get cars. Some people just get fashion. Some people understand music and they just get it. Some people are real good at football and they're just, they get it. There are things that every one of us just gets, that we just understand, that we're just good at. Think of the thing that you're really good at. Have you ever had to try to teach someone who doesn't get it how to do that? Have you ever had to teach your grandmother how to run her computer and she just doesn't get it? What do you do? You give a bunch of rules, you know, like, well, do this, do this, do this. But then what you get is somebody who doesn't get it, but has a bunch of rules. They can't make any adjustments. They can't deal with it if it goes at all off plan because they don't get it. The way of rules is not nearly as good as the way of understanding. And so the old covenant of rules is now transitioning into the new covenant of understanding where we get it, where we understand it. And this is uh, stated all over in the scriptures, but we're going to look at two very short sections to understand the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. So Romans 7, 6 will be our first one says this, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So we're released, we're crucified with Christ, crucified to the law, and then we are freed from the law so that we can learn the ways of the spirit, learn the ways of God and just 
get it, catch on, understand it. We don't have to be told the rules. We don't have to think to ourselves, now, wait a minute. What did it say about murdering people? I can't remember. Let's look that up. Let's see if we can do that or not. No, we'll be able to tell in our hearts, oh, yeah, love people. Don't murder people. We'll be able to tell. And then the next one, which uh, brings that out in a greater detail, Hebrews 8.10 says this. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is saying that instead of in a list of rules, God's ways will be described to us in our minds and in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit coming on us and showing us God's ways. So we start to get it. We start to understand. We start to see it. We start to believe it. So it's not rules, but we start to get it. And that's following the Holy Spirit. It's understanding the ways of God. Have you ever wondered why some people are so excited to pray? Why some people are so excited just to have a worship service where they can just worship God? Why some people are so excited to serve in kids' ministries? Why some people are so excited to give in the offering? Why are they like that? Well, there's something that they get. There's something that they understand. There's something that they've seen and that they know that's in their mind and in their heart that doesn't come from a rule. The problem we have in today's Christian world is that most people seem to interpret Christianity from a law perspective rather than from a spirit perspective. Look at things on, here's the rules, here's the law, this is what we're supposed to do. But we don't always try to catch on, try to get it, try to understand the Spirit of God. So, let's talk about that a little bit. Did you do that with the list of four things? Did you think to yourself, great, I don't drink blood anyway. I'm good. I mean, the, the first three are easy, the, the last one maybe a little bit, you know, but, but that's pretty good, way better than with the ten. You know, I'm doing great. That's thinking of it from a law perspective. If we look at this list of four things from a spirit perspective, what would it be? Well, it would be that the Gentile believers are potentially going to fall into some traps. And so they wanted to warn them ahead of time so that they wouldn't get pulled into some things so that they could learn the ways of God. Watch out for idolatry. That's going to start distorting your understanding of God. It's going to mess you up. And the other things were also associated with idolatry. And there's things that the church in Jerusalem wanted to just warn them about so that they wouldn't fall into it and get confused. And there's going to be different things that we would need to hear. In our culture, we wouldn't need to hear that list of those four things. We would need to hear some other things, like be careful what you let come in through your eyes and your ears through the various media opportunities that we have. Watch out for those things. Let good things in, but not bad things in. There's different rules we would need because we're in a different situation. And so they weren't making the new law of Moses. They were just trying to help these people out. And so when we understand it by the Spirit, we see things in a little different way. Let's talk about a few things that are important in understanding things through the Spirit rather than looking at things through the law. There are two things that go away in the New Covenant. Two things that are gone. And those two things are loopholes and technicalities. In the New Covenant, there are no loopholes. There are no technicalities. 
It's our heart and the heart of God open before each other. The way of the law allows for the letter of the law to miss the spirit of the law. If it's the way of the spirit, it's the way of the spirit. Technicalities and loopholes are gone. We get none of those. The way of the spirit does not include technicalities and loopholes. Another thing to know is that a rule focus can stop people from actually trying to understand. Have you ever, say, worked for somebody or had to deal with somebody and they just gave you a bunch of rules and you thought to yourself, well, this is ridiculous. This isn't going to work, but I guess I'll just follow the rules so I don't get in trouble. That stops you from trying to understand what's going on. And that can happen in religious circles as we follow rules that we don't understand. And we just think, well, I guess God's unreasonable. He's got these goofy rules and I guess I'll follow him. And then it stops you from trying to get to the heart of God. We want to seek the heart of God, seek the spirit of God, seek the mind of Christ, which it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we have the mind of Christ. It's the new covenant that we start to get it and understand it. Don't let a focus on rules pull you away from trying to get it, trying to understand the ways of God. An example I have with this, so I've been married for 26 years. This summer, I'll have known my wife for 30 years, three decades. That's a long time. And so guys, have you ever had a little problem with your wife and she gives you a list of things you need to do to straighten out the relationship. Do this, 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 and this. Have you ever checked all the boxes and she's still mad at you? You want flowers? Okay. I'll get you some flowers. Here's your flowers. All right. You happy now? I checked the box. I did what I was supposed to do. Well, yeah. Okay. You followed the rule, but you missed the heart of it. And so you can follow rules and miss the heart. And how often does that happen with the things of God? You follow the rule. I checked the thing off. Well, I went to church. I gave some money. I did this. God will leave me alone now. No. It's the heart of God that we want to find. And so a rule focus can stop us from really, truly seeking the heart of God. Next one. Cheap grace is still just seeing things from a law perspective. So there's the hyper-legalistic law, do it like this, like that, or everybody's really bad and we're mad at everybody who doesn't do things exactly like we do. There's that legalistic yuckiness. And then there's the cheap grace concept, you know, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer of, hey, man, I'm saved by grace. It's not by works, man. It's by grace. And so I can just sin as much as I want. And that is also seeing things from a law perspective. It's just the other side of the coin. What we want is the heart of God. What's God's plan for me and relationships? What's God's plan for me and understanding and speaking the truth? What's God's plan for these things? We want to seek out the heart of God. It's not about harshly following the rules or dismissing the rules. It's about finding the ways of God. Next one, even if we get it, we learn from other people and we learn from the scriptures and we can get it more. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who got the thing you got? Let's say you're big into motorcycles or something like that. And you just, you get it with regards to motorcycles. And then you talk to someone who also gets it. 
You can learn from them. It's exciting and fun to talk to them about those things because you're on the same wavelength, but you also can learn and grow. You can get it more. And it's the same way with us when we follow the Spirit. We talk to somebody who also gets it with regards to prayer or worship or Bible studies or these sorts of things, service to the kingdom, and we start to talk about those things, how to get free, and and they get it, we get it, and we start to learn and grow together. So even if you get it, There's other things that you can get better, and there's ways that we can learn and grow together. So just because, you know, we get it to some extent doesn't mean we can't continue to learn. We always will continue to learn. And here's an important one right here. Following rules that you don't understand is a hassle. But when you get it, especially regarding the ways of God, it's fun, it's life-giving, it's enjoyable, And you don't even realize it, but you end up following the rules. It just sort of naturally happens where you forgive people and show mercy. You don't have to look it up. Am I supposed to be merciful and forgive them or not? It comes naturally in your heart and it's life-giving and it's enjoyable and it's fun and you can adjust for the circumstances because you're not tied into some rules that can't possibly describe every circumstance and you're able to enjoy the process of living for God with God in this life and you just end up following the rules. It's the new covenant. This problem of interpreting Christianity from a law perspective rather than a spirit perspective often comes up when people talk about salvation. How do I go to heaven? There are people that are trying to go to heaven on a technicality. It's not going to work. If your plan is to fool God, how's that going to work out? He's real smart. (laughs) He's smarter than us. And so if our plan is to sneak in on a technicality, it's not going to work. There are no technicalities. There are no loopholes in the new covenant. It's our heart open and bare before God. And that's it. So let's look at some scriptures that talk about salvation. And let's try to get it. Let's not look for the boxes we can check and then get them done so that we can move on with our life and have dealt with the God stuff. And now I can go live my own life. No, it's how do I learn the ways of God and connect with God and and live my life with God? Then salvation takes care of itself. But if we're trying to fool God, it's not going to work. So let's just look at a few salvation scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. So it's the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God that brings salvation, that we access by faith, and we can't earn that through our works. But if we're understanding this from a spirit perspective rather than from a rule perspective, we are very thankful to God, and then we embrace God and want to walk with God for the rest of our life. If we look at that from a rule perspective, we think, okay, well, if I'm saved by grace, not by works, then what can I get away with not having to do? What can I do that I know I'm not supposed to do, but I can still do it because I'm not saved by my works, I'm saved by grace. That's all law talk. The spirit is, wow, God's grace is wonderful. He saved even me by his kindness. I can't even earn it. I I just have to say thank you. And you just love God back. 
That's how we interpret that through the spirit. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Amen. If we look at this from a law perspective, we may think, okay, well, here's my check boxes. Believe, confess, all right, move on with my life. No, it's have a heart for God, believe in your heart, and then let your words match what's going on in your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so speak it out. Be someone who loves God in your heart and who's willing to speak out the things of God as well. That brings us into communion with God. And that's what brings us into everlasting life with God through the sacrifice of Christ. Romans 2, 6 through 8 comes at this from a different angle. So it's still in Romans, Romans 2, verse 6. God will give to each person according to what he has done. We're talking about behavior now. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. So how do we get eternal life from Romans 2.7? Persistence in doing good. Well, does this negate the other ones? No, I'll try to get it. (laughs) Don't look at it from a law perspective. But understand, as we diligently seek God, as we diligently try to serve God, as we diligently walk with God, and we seek after the things of God, like glory, honor, and immortality, we receive eternal life. Hallelujah for that. It's not an expectation that's put on us so that we can earn our way in. We're saved by grace through faith. But then we walk with God, and we we endeavor to do the things of God in our life. Let's jump to 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through. God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And belief. (laughs) I thought that was sufficient in and of itself. We'll try to get it. Don't look at this from a law perspective. I've got this box. Believe. If I check the box, everything's good. I've got my God stuff dealt with. What is this trying to say? And there's, there's a hundred scriptures we could read that all come from a different angle in understanding salvation, how we're saved, how we go to heaven. It's very simple, but if we get it, it's simple. If we don't get it, it's complicated. And if we look at it from a law perspective, it's going to be difficult. But what we're saved through, especially in this life, Saved from unnecessary pain and suffering and relationship problems and all the issues that come with living apart from God. We're saved from all those things through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. As we walk with the Spirit, we learn the ways of God. Then we stop sabotaging our life so much and we're saved from a miserable, terrible life. And instead, we get to walk in the blessings of God. And then we believe the truth. It brings us into a fullness and everlasting life with Christ. Hallelujah. See how important it is to not see things from a law perspective, but from a spirit perspective. To catch on, to get it, to understand. Now, Jesus had a way of simplifying things. We get all this theology and all this stuff and trying to figure it all out. Jesus was good at simplifying and clarifying. And if we see it and we get it, we can understand. Now, I'm a big fan of Thomas. You know, Doubting Thomas? 
and I don't know the names that we receive in this life. My middle name is Thomas. My dad's name is Thomas. My wife's maiden name is Thomas. We've got Thomases all over. And I don't know if there's any significance to that, but I like Thomas because he was willing to say things that other people were thinking but were afraid to say. And so he would get in trouble periodically, but he would ask the question. And that is something that I think is beautiful. And here we're going to pick it up in John chapter 14, where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his capture, his mock trial, his beating and crucifixion and death. He's trying to help his disciples understand that it's going to be okay. Because they think he's going to become king and actually be king and kick out the Romans. They don't think he's going to the cross. They haven't figured that out yet. And so it's going to be a terrible shock to them. So Jesus is trying to prepare them. And here's one of the things he does in trying to prepare them. John 14, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus says this to some people who are about to go through a horrifying trauma. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God. There is a plan here. There is something good that's going to happen. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is as true for us as it was for them. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So Jesus is saying, I'm going away, but I, I'm preparing a place for you, but I'll come back and I'll, I'll bring you there. It'll be okay, I'll come back and take you. Verse 4, you know the way to the place where I am going. So he tells them, you know how to get there. You understand. You know the way. And they're all thinking, we don't even know what you're talking about. They had no context for understanding this. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. (laughs) So how can we know the way? We don't even know what the destination is, let alone how to get there. We're completely confused. So you may not know the destination. You may not know how to get there. But Jesus says, you know the way. And that's verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the simple answer to all these questions and all these different scriptures that are all true is this. Follow Jesus. Follow him. When we follow him, we follow him to the Father. We follow him to our heavenly dwelling. We follow him to eternal life. We repent of not following him and we turn to him to follow him. And when we follow him, he leads us to everlasting life. And that is possible because of the forgiveness offered on the cross. Heaven is a perfect, beautiful, sinless reality. So we must be cleansed if we're going to go there and not ruin it. And the blood of Christ And the body of Christ makes us worthy, not worthy on our own, but worthy through what Christ has done. 
So we have the body broken for our healing and the blood shed for our forgiveness in, they call it the atonement, Christ's passion and death on the cross. There is healing and forgiveness. Let's trust God for those things that we can be forgiven, that our hearts can be healed and that we can follow Jesus all the way to the father.